I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hi, it's Mind Rolling, and today I have with me Mitch Ablett. And Mitch wrote a book called The Five Hurdles to Happiness and the Mindful Path to Overcoming Them. I might get some feedback going, only five? Uh, (laughs) There might be a hundred in my life, Uh, but uh, (laughs) the cool thing. Welcome, Mitch. Let's start Thank you. Thank you for having me. The um, so Mitch is a are you you're a therapist but a psychiatrist I believe psychologist psychologist okay yep. and well steeped in Buddhism and so uh, the reason and I just told this to Mitch the the particular um, thrust that he has in this book is so much. Uh, akin to the kinds of things we talk about and the people we talk to on mind rolling, getting down to the very uh, practical, down-to-earth ways to understand some of this stuff. And, and, and of course, we love the Buddhist psychology, basically. And what just tells a little bit about how you even became aware and went, okay, wait, there is something else other than uh, everything that I've been uh, habituated to uh, uh, since I came yep. into this world, and there might yes. be a way to get free. How, how did that work for you? I, I think it was out of uh, mostly my, at the time, professional desperation as a as a psychologist and working with really acute, uh, you know, folks. Um, I had worked in residential care as a therapist, mostly with kids with really significant like trauma and behavioral issues. And, uh, you know, in my last job that I was at for over a decade, I was the clinical director of a therapeutic school for kids with school age kids with emotional behavioral challenges. And uh, so not, not only was I a therapist, I was the boss of the therapist. And so then I was charged with helping take care of my staff as they dealt with all this intensity. And yet I wasn't fully taking care of myself. Um, and a lot of 
a lot, I started to notice all these patterns that felt old that had uh, that were reactive in response to the stress and the you know basically the fear and um, that led me to start following up on some things that I had first learned when I was at a previous job and I heard Steve Hayes uh, one of the co-founders of acceptance and commitment therapy which is a a mindfulness-based psychotherapy. I heard him speak at a conference and I got really curious as before I was really uh, much of a meditator at all. And so through the the back door, in, instead of a, a Dharma path or a contemplative tradition originally, it was as a provider, as a therapist, I learned about this mindfulness-based therapy. And then I quickly realized that if I'm gonna help others uh, and if I'm going to help myself and my staff, I've got to really turn this on myself mm. and I have to really explore it myself. And that led to my own, uh, my, my own path, my own journey with meditation. So, um, it's kind of a, a different path from a lot of people. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm alone. I think there are many people that had scoffed at mindfulness. Uh, you know, I remember being given a, copy of John Kabat-Zinn's Wherever You Go, There You Are uh, when I was in grad school. And I remember looking at it and like, what the hell is this? You know, and kind of chucking it on uh, to the side and then coming back to it later and actually encountering it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's the professional stuff around helping myself, helping others. And then I quickly realized that in order to really be a, a decent therapist, I had to get with my own patterns and particularly the fear and anger and, you know, basically all of these five, you know, what you know, we call hurdles on the cover, but are the traditional uh, Buddhist psychology hindrances to awareness. And you seem to have steeped yourself as well in, uh, in Buddhism. And there's so many different, uh, attributions here from different texts that you've obviously read. So it, it does go beyond just mindfulness. Uh, yes. and the other thing that it does that's lovely and makes this book, uh, you want to keep reading it, and it's not just, okay, here's what to do, is your own experience and the stories. I love those. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think I was inspired in terms of writing and speaking, uh, you know, Jack Cornfield's work and how he teaches. And the, you know, I haven't met him personally. I've talked on the phone with his wife a few times when my uh, previous role as the executive director of the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy, and um, she's on the board. Um, but um, Trudy. Yeah, Trudy. And uh, but I just I've read most of Jack's books and. And the way he uses storytelling and, mm. you know, Nasruddin is one of his favorites yeah, yeah. As, as is mine. And mm. I, I, and this as a therapist, people have always seemed to resonate most through story. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Everybody. In the, well, he's a great model, Jack, for sure. For sure. Well, Hey, right off the bat, as soon as I started reading the book, the very first story I could relate with big time, Okay. And uh, I'd love for you, uh, I'm sure you remember, but it's about your out-of-control six-year-old, that story. 
And uh, yeah, tell that story. Let's start there because it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And it's an ongoing unfolding story. She's now eight. eight. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, she's, you know, as all parents think of their kids, she's amazing, uh, you know, super sweet and sensitive and has this intuitive uh, deep feeling and knowing to her you know, and, uh, which is awesome The you know, the other side of that sword is, is how deeply she feels and can suffer. And, you know, formally, you know, she was diagnosed several years ago with, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And, you know, so back even just a couple of years ago, when I started writing this book, we were still in the throes. Uh, it's much more resolved and stabilized now. Um, not, you know, and no small part due to the work my wife and I have done about our own stuff, mm. um, uh, which this book was a part of that, um, which was very helpful. But she, she, uh, you know, she could really, when she got triggered with the anxiety, if we in any way at the time tried to block one of her compulsive rituals, which at the time might be copying, you know, her children's books over and over again. And if we tried to, you know, get her to stop doing that, she would lash out aggressively. And then, you know, so I start the book with the story that, you know, I, I had to restrain my out of control six-year-old today. And all that not only was showing up in her that I could witness, but then more importantly, and in terms of practice what was showing up in me and the anger and the resentment you know the mind tape of here we go again she's doing this to us to me and kind of that velcroing of the mind you know thought to the body saying i can't have this and i gotta push it off um which took the form of physically holding her yet yes her body was out of control um, but I, it was also me feeling out of control and trying to get that control back and push away the, you know, the conditioning that I didn't want to experience. So, mm. yeah. And then of course you have the other things that are concomitant to that, which is guilt feelings and so on. And, uh, and then watching yourself, that awareness factor comes in and you can see, how you're playing out these past habitual patterns and so on. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's a great start that everybody can absolutely relate to. I mean, I was like, oh, Jesus, yes. This, how many <laughs> times has that happened to me? And Right. Oh, my Lord, yeah. Um, and talk about, uh, you do talk about karma in this book, uh, which is a subject that we're really as part of the Be Here Now network, investigating with Jack and Sharon and Joseph and others. Uh, and uh, But it just strikes me when you were talking about you and your wife have this child and you are going through whatever you are going through with her karmic predilections and then they're bumping into yours and causing you to dig deeper to find the place where, as you said about your co-workers and people that work for you, you need to fix yourself here so that you can help anybody, which is, uh, yeah. you know, this is a famous uh, 
thing of Ramdas is there's nothing you can do as a therapist, as social action, nothing until you fix your own self, fix That's your right. heart, then you can share. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, you know, there's a, I can't remember the exact phrase I used in a book, but, uh, you know, karma seems to be the, uh, as a term, particularly here in the West, it's like the, uh, you know, the black sheep, uh, the last one to get called to, you know, to play at recess on the team. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it seems kind of a taboo thing and it has all this baggage, but it's, you know, my mind, it's, it's really straightforward. It's, it doesn't have to necessarily be about anything beyond the realm of physics. In fact, it's conditioning and it's, it's genetics and conditioning and these patterns that show up in us. And then, and, and if we relate to it, mindlessly then the conditioning just rolls it just continues yeah. when the context cues it yeah. so you don't have to get threatened by the concept it doesn't have to be about anything mystical per se yeah and as a psychologist as a therapist i'm dealing with karma every day and and it's the like you said the bumping up against of my clients karma their conditioning with my own and then all I, you know, what I do when I intervene is I relate to it with them and, and create a field where are we willing to open uh, to this conditioning and then choose what to do with our awareness or, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of the fundamental thing in this book. Yeah. I do want to get into it a little bit more with you later uh, around karma and uh I don't think it's the right word, the mystic part, but certainly the reincarnation part or the past yeah. life part. Uh, but, uh, and this is to me one of the most important things that anyone who wants to become free of these habitual patterns of these hindrances, uh, honesty. And you talk about our thousands of decisions to wear blinders instead of inquiring with honest awareness into, into both the beauty and the pain of our daily lives absolutely necessary. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, without that, no mindfulness or anything is going to do a damn thing. That's right. You know, the, you know, the mind wants to create this separation, right, where there's, there's this little corner of the room where we can say, yeah, 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 awareness, presence, you know, mindfulness practice, but not this, I'm going to keep this for me. And I got this. And that self deception, uh, you know, which, you know, that that is the thing that I think, you know, particularly for those of us as meditators, you know, and many others have talked about this as well, we can harness meditation, and actually can become a hindrance in and of itself that we're deceiving ourselves, that we are doing this, Yeah, the bypass. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a, that's a key thing. I know I continue to unfold to that and, and to see that self-protective closing where I, I need to own this, I need to possess this, you know? And so to me, it felt very important when I was writing this to, you know, it, it is this willingness to open and I needed to be open when I wrote this um, and not at all deign to 
have some sort of state that I sustain at all time. You know, you know, most people these days don't do that much, at least in my reading. And yet I wanted to overtly display that, you know, I'm as, I'm as hindered as anyone <laughs> at times. Um, and I, I think that just helps, helps me to hear that from someone that I'm, I'm receiving something from, or I'm, I'm learning from. Yeah. Uh, I got that in spades. As you know, this is, uh, Ram Dass's, uh, inspired podcast network. And, uh, that was when I first met him long time back, that was one of the most immediate and powerful, uh, uh transmissions that I got from him as a teacher. Honesty. Yeah. He was, and because he was, he was absolutely honest about everything. And in fact, in the very beginning was, oh, okay, it's okay. All right. I have these thoughts and I have these uh, judgments about myself and whatever else. It's okay. We all got them, you know? Uh, So yeah, honesty. uh, And that's brutally. So if, if we're willing. Yeah. Now that's the other thing. If we are willing and, uh, Courage is something else that you do bring up, and I think that is uh, very, very important, so that we don't, um, you know, put that uh, awareness in a closet of of our true motivations and so on. So, courage. Yeah. So, five hindrances. Let, uh, why don't you? I think you should. We should all, uh, all listeners, be good to be informed here what are the five hindrances and you've put them in a bit of a more secular kind of a thing but yeah yeah i i'm i want to do that you know i i like to put my own spin on things you know no disrespect to others but uh i i like i like acronyms i'm kind of like uh you know dan siegel that way i like to Mm. create acronyms for practices and i i wanted to take these you know, sloth and torpor, which is one of the hindrances, is often confusing to people. So that sparked me to think, well, what what are other words I could use? And uh, W words uh, came to mind. So, you know, the the first traditionally is uh, desire. Um, and so I, I renamed that, you know, wanting. Um, and then I really, uh, felt it was important to make the distinction with that hindrance, just in a nutshell that, you know, I think, I think it gets a bad rap or at least the Buddhist approach to desire as a thing that can cloud the mind can get a bad rap that the Buddha was trying to say, we should squash any desire from our, from our, uh, body mind and, uh, people like Mark Epstein, psychiatrist, who, you know, and, and his writing on that in his one book, um, uh, Opening to Desire, was really helpful to me in writing this book. Um, that no, that's not what the Buddha intends. That's not what you actually encounter as you practice. Desire is part of the body mind. You know, it lets us know that things are worth reaching toward. Um, it's the craving aspect. It's the compulsive aspect. It's the, I have to have this, you know, where we're, we're grabbing at it and forcing at it without awareness that that's where the suffering comes from. So that, you know, this is a, you know, I think it's front and center in traditional teaching, 
because it, you know all of these are universal, but we feel desire every day. We we want we every do. day. Yep. Oh, I did twenty minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> and got my iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. So, oh. um, so it's. And see what you've done, Mitch, is, okay, you just said, I got my iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, and now I'm thinking, shit, I got to get over to Starbucks. That's (laughs) my thought, even though we're in the middle of a podcast. That's right. God, talk about karma. But, but yeah, we cue each other. Major. But, you know, I I think it's really powerful. Desire's okay. It's okay to experience the pleasure of an iced coffee, unless there you have serious health issues, it would say, don't take any, don't drink caffeine, don't have, you know, this stuff. Um, but if there's nothing like that and you're able to hold it lightly, it's here. I'm experiencing this coffee-esqueness and it's, it's nice, but it's the trying to force it to, to stay. It's the um, gotta have it now. Yeah, addictive. Yeah, yeah that, that that's what leads to so you know the rampant craving, the addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, Judd Brewer's work um, on meditation and you know the neuroscience of craving. Uh, I think it's huge uh, to kind of help people who might benefit from the scientific take on on this hindrance, but. I mean, all, all five of these were traditionally taught, you know, to monastics that it's important if you want to continue on the path of awakening to encounter each of these body-mind states uh, that will hinder your ability to see clearly. Uh, and traditionally in, in, in the Pali Canon, the, uh, the Buddha refers to this metaphor of the pool of water. And that in various different ways, metaphorically, each of these five hindering patterns clouds uh, our clear seeing, uh, you know, through this pool. And, you know, desire definitely uh, clouds us. Hmm. So um, I think there's a reason why it's listed first in yeah. terms of how frequently and intensely we experience yeah. that as yeah. a blockade to awareness. Hmm. And then you... I love how, I mean, anger is, of course, the next one that uh, you talk about. and But you referred to it, I, which I thought, yeah, this is a great word, hostility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it, uh, I think, in Joseph Goldstein's work and, you know, and, and many others, you know, aversion uh, is a word that gets used. And, you know, sometimes people just say anger, but I think that can kind of miss something or lead to misconception hostility seemed to capture it well for me but you know and then i the w word i use is wrestling you know and and i I like that in the sense that we're we're wanting to wrestle to the ground this sense of it shouldn't be this way yeah and it can it has this angry hostile push pull tug of war aspect to it defending ourselves yeah yeah. Wronged. We are wrong. So we yeah, wrestle yeah. that stuff. Down. I can't have this and I'm blaming you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So it's a great word. Um, and then sloth and torpor, although it is archaic, it yeah. sounds right. 
sloth and yeah, torpor. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's onomatopoetic. Yeah, yes. yeah, it is. But uh, certainly, what have you used? Sluggishness is something yeah. you use. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's a slug. Everybody, you feel like a slug today. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And you know, and in terms of meditation. It's less around, you know, many of us when we feel sluggish or the W word here is wilting, you know, when we have that wilting aspect, it could be from a much more pure physiologic reason in terms of we haven't slept enough or we ate something or we haven't eaten, you know, that kind of, or you have a medical condition. And yet what, uh, what I think the, this is pointing to is more the, the sense of mental wilting or sluggishness that may not have a direct physiological or medical mm. cause. It's more of a psychological cause that we don't want to be in this experience now. And mm. so we find ourselves clouding over and our mind just is not working. We can't think, you know, clearly I've had it happen many times with clients who for HIPAA reasons and um, my own embarrassment, I will, you know, not name, but uh, where I've sat with them and I find myself wilting. Mm. And it's not that I'm sleepy per se, like I just, you know, I need a nap. Um, it's that there, I'm not, I'm quote unquote bored. And my mind is getting, you know, it's dull. It feels like I'm walking through something thick. And when you, if you can bring mindfulness to that, um, and curiosity to that without the judgment, you know, then you might actually start to realize like in, in the role of a therapist, what is it about this moment with this person that I'm not wanting to have? And it might be that they're, they're raising something or they're displaying something that's hitting my karma, that's hitting my stuff and I'm wilting away from it and mm. tuning out. And so then that's valuable data. And when you can get into that space, then you actually start to wake up a bit. Yeah. And then, and then you can engage, and, you know, and I, I think I tell a story in the, in the book about a patient I had years ago where I did this, I tuned out and then went, and then, you know, as often happens with these hindrances, they feed on each other and they interact with each other. And then anger came in for me that she's making me look incompetent because she's not changing. So the, the dullness was there, the sloth and torpor, the wilting, but then also this hostility. And so then I forced, you know, cognitive behavioral research based, all good stuff methods at her. And, you know, because I felt like she was just whining and complaining and I was checked out. And so I said, this is what we're doing. You're going to do this and then things are going to get better. And then she dropped out of therapy. I never saw her again. <laughs> Versus if I could have found a way to get curious and kind of own my own kind of, I'm not sure where to go next with this. My mind's kind of jello over here. Maybe we would have creatively co-created a new path. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Wonderful example. And everybody, who, you know, we all, do this. We don't have to be therapists for everybody. We sit down and pay some attention to a friend's story of a coworker, a parent, a child. And yes. the minute that you, and I am, a, by the way, talk about honesty. I am a prime offender here. 
in terms of drifting and getting ADD for whatever reason. And I love uh, what you just said. Yeah, somebody may be hitting me in the place where that's triggering uh, yep. habitual patterns and past karmic stuff, or whatever. And I yep. don't want to deal with that. And I'm either getting ADD ness or, uh, or, or a little bit of sleepiness or bored, yep. you know, whatever. And, um, you know, there was somebody who said once, the most generous thing that you can do with another human being, it's a great quote from a famous person, I can't remember who, but I do remember the quote, is be the most generous thing that you can offer to another human being is total attention. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and working, so this is a great way to work through this, to, to see, okay, there. this isn't out of a void, why I'm either I'm ge- I'm getting completely sidetracked, tired, feeling tired, feeling angry, whatever it may be, and to and and use that self-examination yeah. mindfulness. So yeah, very good. It's always it's all as Thich Nhat Hanh says, we all enter our, and you know as a therapist, it ain't about them having a diagnosis and that they have a problem. You know, when they come in here, we're we're in this field of awareness together. And, you know, if I'm getting triggered, I'm helping create that. There's something in me that is not wanting to have what is. Hmm. Great. I just I just start thinking about because many people we have these retreats in Maui with Ram Dass and, and Jack and others and uh, many people. Not many people, but it happens fairly often because Ramdas was a psychologist mm-hmm. uh, in his Harvard days. They say, "What do you think about working with a therapist?" And Ramdas always says, "If he thinks he's a therapist, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if he's not going to be, as you just said, in that one continuum that we are in together, yes, working together." Right. Uh, then uh, that's a whole other thing. So I'm gl- I'm really glad to hear that. that I like to say to audiences when I'm in, they tend to I talk to a lot of clinicians mm. when I do talks and uh, I'll have them raise their hands. How many of you have either you know, about yourself or others in the field, re- you know, referred to uh, being a change agent, an agent of change? And, you know, everybody raises their hands and I'll look at everybody and say, bullshit. You, know, you are not an agent of change, nor am I. At best, you uh, you arrange certain conditions, and if you let go of trying to make that change happen via agency, that's actually where the most closest thing to "quote unquote" mastery happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, yeah, there there are no therapists. There are, there are just people encountering stuff. And, you know, we help each other create certain conditions where things can spark and we can be more aware. You may get a lot of calls here after we put your (laughs) website up there, uh, Mitch. Uh, Also, oh, well, we haven't finished. We have worry. Uh, Yes. Of course, that's, uh, we don't have to say much about worry what it's uh is it called restlessness in the in yeah, the tradition traditionally the english translation is restlessness it's yeah you know, and i call it worrying it's that this is where i think the mind is leaning out down the track saying what's that what's that around the corner and it could be like what 
it clearly looks like anxiety. It could be like what you were saying earlier that that ADHD aspect that you know, like physiologic. I can't, you know, I can't be in this. I got to be over here, and you know, the grass is greener uh, experience, and things get distracted, things get impulsive, and you know, the mind is future leaning. Um, as I like to say to kids, uh, instead of texting, what's really going on is you're nexting, you know, your, your mind is constantly leaning into the next thing. And, you know, what about now? What's, what's happening now that matters to you? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that, that's the essence of the, of restlessness. Yeah. I think I need some therapy. My mother just worried from the beginning of her life to the end of her life. Well, actually, until she got dementia. It's funny, dementia, then no worries. She was way yeah. in the moment. It's weird what yeah. happens with that disease. Uh, and uh, But I'm always blaming. Uh, Mom, you know, she, you did this to me. I worry. I mean, and I'm the only difference is, after all this work over these decades, uh, spiritual work, I, I'm not um, chasing it and I'm not vibing with it the way that anywhere near the way I used to and she did. But yeah, talk about the karma and the patterns yes. that get created through our how we get brought up and who we are with. It's, it's that's extraordinary. Right. And that's a really important point, by the way, you know, that when others bump up against us with their karma, you know, we will feel that restlessness, we'll feel the desire to change that in them, to be that change agent. Yeah. And so the depth of this kind of work, this kind of karmic work is you keep remembering via acceptance that this, this want, this desire, this rut, it's in me and I can, I can watch it. I can let it be, I can notice and allow, and I can't, I can't change that for them. That's their journey. That's their path. Mm. I can hold up my truth, you know, that like, Hey, I'm over here and I see things differently. And yet, you know, yeah. you, you have, you have yours right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the last, but not the least no. <laughs> doubt, doubt, which is, yeah. uh, well, you could do a book just on that and the myriad ways in which doubt expresses itself. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. I think I cite someone in the book as saying that it may have been Joseph Goldstein that uh, doubt is the killer of the, of the hindrances. Uh, that, you know, my way of thinking about it, it's very close in. You know, things like hostility, we can we can put it out here and okay, yeah, I know that's a pattern. I know that that is not me or I need I can I need to relate to this differently. But doubt is so laden with I, you know, I can't or this won't work out for me that it feels like it's us. And and, you know, of the hindrances, it just grabs all the others and pulls them in. Um, so it's kind of like the quarterback of the, of the hindrances. <laughs> I like that. It sure is. Oh my. Uh, and you talk about when we work with the, working with the hindrances, you say is basically a working through of one's conditioned karmic patterns. 
Yeah. And that's uh, an essency statement. And it really is is the bottom line for all of our work for we do a thing here called life in balance. I mean, that's uh, that's our kind of byword of helping us all get into a life in balance. And that is absolutely the pr- primary is to get after these um, these karmic condition patterns and so on. Um, yes. And um, in terms of karma, and you 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 say yeah, you don't need to have any mystical relationship with that word. You don't need. To, uh, you know, we're not going to get into um, reincarnation, past lives, and so on. Uh, but I do think it is important, actually. Uh, and I, I know that, that that can be very tough for people because we just don't come from a culture that has that no. you know, whatsoever. And right. only through absolute grace was I introduced to that when I went to India with Ramdas and met mm. this incredible being, Neem Karoli Baba. Uh, but then I did experience that, the reality of that. And, mm. and then since then, I have seen... It's it's become re- transparent in some ways, just how uh, these things do come not just from this present life, and that w- there is a purpose in that way for us to w- to work through them. So I I know that I get what you did, Mitch, with the book and and getting into it in the way that you did. But maybe you can just mention to me what you do think uh, yourself personally of that aspect of karma. Well, I'll be I'll be brutally honest. I'm I'm working on that. You know, I'm working on my own pushback. I'll, I'll say this. You know. Uh, please give my regards to Ram Dass. I haven't met him, but he's had a massive influence on me indirectly. And he he should know, he already, I'm sure, knows this. You know, that documentary of his, you know, Fierce Grace. Yeah. Um, I refer to one segment in particular over and over again with uh, mm. patients of mine, you know, the Rachel's Letter mm. segment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that that brings me back to this the you know, the the karma in terms of you know rebirth and you know purpose carrying forward you know what he wrote to those parents around that the death the tragic death of their child was her gift to them and you know few people could stay conscious to that amount of pain. Um, and yet are they willing to stay open um, and then receive that gift you know from their daughter and then in that loving openness you know, I'm paraphrasing here but meet her again and again and again and truly know one another and so I that has a I've known the truth of that and yet I can't explain it in terms of my mind's understanding of how uh, a purpose weaves across quote unquote time. Um, I think it's, it's a, it's a mental enigma. And yet I experientially, you know, like even now know that there's this truth that my mind can't understand. 
and maybe with a with an experience of that purpose arriving, re-arriving, I will understand more. I think that's the most that I can say with words about mm. about that. Mm. Well said, Mitch, really. And, you know, and the truth is, and this is, uh, I'll read from the book, actually, because I think this is uh, really what I, uh, I believe this is invaluable, and that you absolutely do, I agree with you, you do not need to believe in reincarnation, uh, past lives, any of that, it, uh, and here's, the essence of karma is that actions determine experience. Actions based on reactive patterns reinforce patterns and lead to suffering. Actions based on attention in presence dismantle patterns and lead to opening. When we understand how behavior affects experience, we understand karma. And you say here, belief in past and future lifetimes isn't an issue. And I agree. Appreciation of karma does not come from intellectual understanding or belief. It comes from seeing directly how patterns in conditioning operate, a seeing that comes about only through cultivating attention in uncovering awareness. So, yeah, yeah. well said and right in that. Thank you. I think a chunk of that, if you have the book in front of you, I I don't, uh, is uh, I'm quoting Ken McClure. Oh, yeah, Yeah, that's right. Ken, uh, meditation. Yes, yes, you are. Who I well, talk who to cares? It's all us as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I, you know, and he actually told me on the phone, he's like, uh, uh, you know, be careful talking a lot about karma because it's so, <laughs> but but I, I agree with you. You know, I wanted to raise it at all in this book because I think it's so important for people to understand and then experience more importantly we have to unfold into our patterns and we need to not try and control them, push them away, change them. But our lives open most and we're happiest, not through some seven step method that's going to last forever, but by turning into the things that are uncomfortable and opening. Yeah. So. By the way, talking about, you mentioned in the book, uh, loving awareness. Ramdas has got that trademark, Mitch. I don't know. Did you ask him? <laughs> no, it's funny because Ramdas. No, years ago, Ramdas has this whole loving awareness uh, talk and meditation, or getting people to get out of their heads, ego, mind stuff, and get into a center, the true place inside us, in the center of our wherever. And by I am loving awareness. I am mm. loving awareness, and then just loving aware and just creating that presence. And you know, heart, heart, yeah. mind, the illusion thereof, but loving, loving awareness. Yeah, and uh, well, he puts it, you know, just get out of there completely. That's and, right. And That's the, right. The mind, you know, that awareness. It it, it mm. is like a joint venture here. With, yes. With the love. Uh, but interesting, so, and of course, all, all of our Buddhist friends, loving kindness is the practice. And now they're all going out doing loving awareness. And then I read it in your book. It's just going on. <laughs> hey, cite the source. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to do that as much as I can. No, you, they, I'm sure you didn't even think for a minute. I probably, you probably never even heard. Uh, it's no. just coming into the general consciousness through osmosis of some other sort. That's um, right. 
Hey, tell this story though, Mitch. It's so great, and I've, I have heard it before. I don't know. It's the Mahatma Gandhi story. Uh, keep, it's oh. you say, keep me awake to the truth of karma to consider this a- anecdote. Uh, tell that story. It's great. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it here, but uh, a mother brings her her young child uh, to to Gandhi and says, you know, please get him to stop eating sugar. And, uh, you know, Gandhi says, okay, well, go, go away and come back in two days. So she comes back in two days and she's like, uh, why did you send, you know, you know, he's like, uh, you know, what, how, how can I help you understand this? So why did you send me away? Well, I needed you to go away because I needed to stop eating sugar first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, but yeah. He 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 knew. He's like, I I can't tell them to stop a pattern if you know I've got that pattern in me. Yeah, and which is a and you say if Gandhi can acknowledge it and op- open amid his less than ideal karmic conditioning, so can we. And yeah, that that is a. It's possible, everybody. We can cut through our conditioning and our habitual patterns that really uh, lead to these hindrances. Absolutely, 100%. And of course, and, and this is something in the book that is uh, very much um, a gigantic suggestion, we might consider meditation as a yeah. way to start moving into uh, an awareness uh, that can really help cut through this stuff. Uh, it's You say it's the mirror that accurately reflects how each of the five hindrances is warping, basically warping our asses. <laughs> that's what's yeah, happening. That's right. So, yeah, talk about that in your own experience, how that's helped you. Yeah, I, I think uh, in my direct willingness to open, things things go best, but not necessarily without pain mm. when there's this willingness to see things as they are almost like, you know, I think in the book I call it, you know, awareness, like a mirrored bowl. And when we f- first start practicing, you know, many of us, most of us, it starts like almost like a thimble. We can't hold very much, but as we keep showing up to opening to whatever is be it pain or, you know, possibility that bull widens. And yet, you know, we can never control what shows up in it. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I continue to have a lot of crap show up in my bowl, as do all of us. It's like, you know, okay, I see you. I can relate to you. I can work with you. And my life goes better personally when I don't try and shove you away. So, I, you know, this, this book has, has been so much of a... Uh, wake up call to me mm. as I wrote it. And, but I do think it's kind of helped set the stage for my own journey, which is what, which is what ultimately makes writing so important to me. Yeah. Well, everything you're doing uh, is just absolutely contributing to the sharing of your heart and fixing your heart and sharing that. And whoever, you know, it's their karma to get that the way that uh, they're supposed to, then wonderful, right? So it's a great thing. Um, so 
One of the other things that I've been working on with some of the teachers, and you know, we do online courses about different things and so on. Uh, and one of them is that I'm working on right now is about basically how we get from the story of me or what uh, it's Krishnadas, a good friend of mine, calls wake up in the mo- morning with the movie of me. Yeah. And you're the starring role. In fact, That's you're right. all the roles. And how do we transform uh, that into the story of us? And you've been saying some things that are exactly that. Uh, but uh, I'm just thinking, uh, yeah, talk about just dealing with it because you're, you're dealing with that day to day. You'll be dealing with it soon. I know we have to get off here because you're going to yeah. be talking to somebody <laughs> a few minutes. in a few minutes. But just a little bit uh, around dealing with that story we continuously reinforce our existence as that big self i me i think that's where the that's where the money is you know um Mm. i i'm i'm already toying with my next endeavor and i'm i i see there's like this continuum around meditation mindfulness practice and the we and you know most of us you know most people most of the time they feel unseen um, and then they occasionally feel seen kind of moving across the continuum, but in an egoic sense, you see this separate me over here and I'm awesome, or that's great that you see me. And then with practice or conditions, whether there's formal meditation practice or not, but for most of us, we need that form and structure. Um, there is seeing so unseen seeing, seeing, and then I, I feel like it's really important. This is what the next thing is I want to write, uh, is with enough seeing when we're in the field with another, and this is where me as a therapist and a dad and a husband, we can be prizing another. So it's this compassionate, it's this willing, honest, compassionate, seeing the what is seems to be arising in another and speaking to it so it's not praise it's like hey i see you over there as best as i can and i see you risking i see you opening in whatever way you are and that matters to me that touches me versus hey good job here's a cookie um you know, and I think when we prize one another, we're, we're eyeing that thing in them that is opening, that is awakening. And as a therapist, when I intervene from that space, I'm not trying to change them. There's no agenda. You know, prizing is like a compassionate gift of awareness in the interpersonal field. And it's one of the core conditions that opens that body-mind to going from unseen to seen to seeing themselves. So to me, that that feels important to talk about that it's less of like a seven-step method, but there's like this growing thing that can happen with growing awareness that it's not just about being on a cushion and being aware of our senses and our thoughts. It's then turning out into the world and saying you. You know, you, you and I, I see you and what I see in you really matters to me and changes me. 
uh, affects me. I, th I think that's that's uh, that's the we aspect of meditation. Mm. Love it. I love the word prize. I've never prizing somebody. Yes. Yeah, that kind of reaching out, just the reaching out and having that compassionate feeling and the and the embrace the the vibrational embrace prizing somebody that's yeah that's great. versus praising praising can feel like it has an agenda i mean this is coming out of all these years of working with kids with emotional behavioral disorders and and knowing through lots of stub toes that when i try and control this kid's behavior i might be able to get them to stop in the moment but it doesn't lead to real shifts for them and yet when I look at them and say something like, dude, this is the last thing you wanted to have happen today. And yet peekaboo, I see you behind that behavior. And what I see in there is worth showing up to. You let me know if you're willing to show up to me. Yeah. And that that's prizing a, a kid um, and not buying into the story of their quote unquote problem behavior. Time and time again, I've seen kids open and and be willing to risk, um, and I think that's contagious. I think I think prizing it helps people see and it helps people prize others. So yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful, Mitch. I love it. Uh, I'm gonna gra I am gonna borrow that concept uh, somehow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you credit though, for sure. Uh, the Five Hurdles to Happiness is a, a wonderful book, and uh, there's so many other things in here that uh, I, I go through a book and I go, oh yeah, that's interesting. Let's I want to talk about that. And of course, there was there's just not enough time to do it all. Um, what what about a, a we're going to have on Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network? We have a, a show notes page, and of course, we're going to link the book. And what about a, a URL so people could um, catch up with you? Is that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, www.drdrmitchablett, uh, M-I-T-C-H-A-B-B-L-E-T-T, -T, two B's, two T's, dot com. Okay, great. And where are you? I don't even I'm know. I'm in Boston. You're in Boston. Boston. Okay. Yes. Live in Newton. Oh. Oh, that's right. It's in the book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So... There you go. All of you guys and gals in Boston, he's available. If I was there, I'd be going, okay? Uh, great to meet you. Great to yeah, talk great to, you. to meet you. And uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation uh, again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. So this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. We'll see you next week.